Welcome to Crosswords, the podcast about practical Christianity. What does it look like to walk in Jesus' footsteps? How do I live in a culture hostile to godliness? These are questions that we'll answer on each podcast as we get our heart and mind on Jesus. All scriptures quoted are from the New International Version. You can follow me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing. Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It's a pleasure to meet with you this afternoon, this stormy afternoon. Thankfully, we've all been praying to the Lord our God, and although we don't deserve it, He has listened to our prayers on many fronts. Thank God for our sister Leah, for uh, the storm, and many other things that I know I've been praying for, and you have been too. We are reading uh, or starting to read 2 Corinthians this week. Uh, I pray that you have a fruitful reading. And we're going to do a bit of a summary of 1 Corinthians, not a summary per se, but really focusing on the fundamentals. Uh, as I promised you last Wednesday, we're going to take a look at some fundamental things that the apostle relayed to the Corinthian church to help them navigate through the many different troubles that they were having. As usual, when Paul writes a letter, he first establishes some fundamental spiritual teaching, and then based on that fundamental, he addresses different things. So we're going to cover those fundamentals today, God willing. I'm going to ask you a question before we start, and that is, what typically persuades you? You know, what are some things that persuade you to do something? I'm going to show you some ads here because we live in a world full of media and we're constantly being bombarded with ads, especially now on our cell phones even. I thought I had gotten away from ads when I cut the cord for uh, cable TV, but the ads are still uh, persecuting me on my phone, on my computer. And so there are many different ads. Uh, some ads uh, throws different signs at you, symbols, right, and signs. They don't really talk much about the product, like this ad from Mountain Dew. They just kind of use symbols or, or signs to persuade you. Maybe in this case, you know, you're a mountain climber or you like hiking, and you know, just the image of hiking is, you know, may may incite you to think about Mountain Dew. <laughs> so they don't even tell you about the product. They use different images, and I'm sure that you've come across many other ads that do the same. Some other ads use symbols in a very different way, in a very poignant way, as this ad about smoking and the dangers of, of, of smoking. And we get the symbolism, right? Sometimes the symbolism of these ads can be very, very powerful. Uh, marketing campaigns, they know human beings quite well, so they know how to appeal to your emotions. And they use imagery, signs, and symbols to uh, really try to persuade you one way or the other. Some of you might be like me. You know, I don't go much for symbolism. You know, I want to, I want information. <laughs> and so some ads use information and they try to use words and wisdom to convince you of why you should do something or why you should buy something or why you shouldn't do something. And that appeals to me. I'm a man of information. I like to read. I like to study. Uh, in order for me to make a, an informed 
decision uh, of things. And of course, God uses symbols as well as information. I mean, we know the most awesome symbol of all is this symbol right here, the symbol of, of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this symbolism evokes very powerful emotions. God has used very powerful symbols, uh, so powerful that I decided to make a cap and, and put the, the symbol of the gospel right, right on it so that when I wear it and people say, hey, what does that mean? Boom, I get a chance to, to share the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ because symbols are very, very powerful. Uh, so powerful that Paul says this to the Corinthians right off the bat when he starts off the letter. He tells them, he says, Jews demand signs, but Greeks look for wisdom. I guess I'm a, I'm a Greek. But Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. There's the third option, Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So he mentions three things here that tend to persuade people. He talks about signs or, or symbols, right? What is a sign? Uh, the, Hebrew, the Greek word for this is, it means a mark, an indication, often used as a miraculous sign, a supernatural wonder, but also a, a mark or an indication. Uh, and calling them signs instead of miracles really emphasizes the significance of the action rather than the marvel of it. There is something behind the symbol. He also talks about wisdom, which in, in the Greek is Sophia. And what is wisdom but the application and practice of the knowledge of good and evil? Paul presents a third option that the Jews and the Greeks had not considered and the world had not considered until this time, and that is Christ crucified. That's what we preach. We don't preach signs. We don't necessarily talk about worldly wisdom. We talk about Christ crucified, which tends to be a stumbling block for those who seek signs like the Jews and foolishness for the Greeks. Too often in our day and age, we rely too much on, on intellect, don't we, to save us. You know, we look for information. We got Google. We got Bing. We got the Internet. Uh, we want to know how to get out of something. We look for wisdom and and. Too often it's worldly wisdom and not faith. We don't tend to rely on faith, which is why God chose to save us through a means that most people consider folly. The Jews, they valued signs since to them, these signs and these symbols that they use proved that God was at work, proved that God was with them. We read all about that through the prophets and the Old Testament. But Greeks, uh, due to the Hellenistic revolution, they sought wisdom and understanding. You know, they, they thought they were the smartest people. And, and we think we can be safe with wisdom sometimes. And therefore, we have tend to value human wisdom in our day and age as well. Um, so this is how God, I think, tests our, our humility, uh, because the cross tends to be very, very foolish for people who look for wisdom and it tends to be a stumbling block for those who, who look for signs. I mean, why were the Jews so offended? Why was the cross a stumbling block to them? Deuteronomy 21, 23 says that the cross offends because the law said that anyone hung on a tree was cursed. So to the Jews, this symbol uh, produced conflicts 
of emotions in their minds and in their heart. And that's why Jesus said that this would be a stumbling block for them because God chose a very powerful symbol to test them. And God also tests in our day and age or for those who rely on human wisdom. He tests our, our hearts in that way as well. And Paul says why in this verse. He says the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. So some of us may think we possess wisdom or maybe some kind of sign of specialty. And we may think that wisdom or, or that symbolism may make us better. And so we might look at the things of God and kind of poo-poo them down and say, ah, you know, that's not that important, which is, again, a test on God's behalf to see if we're going to rely on our own perception of, of things or if we are going to trust him. And Paul explains that here in these verses. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. That means when you came to accept the gospel and, and became baptized. He said, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influ influential. This is kind of like a reality check on them, right? Not many of you were of noble birth. So there might have been some that were wise, because Paul didn't, doesn't say none of you were wise, none of you were influential. He said not many of you. So there might have been some in the crowd that, that were you know, wise, maybe. Some were influential, maybe one or two of, of noble birth, but they were not the entirety of them. And Paul is saying these things because in verse 27, he says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So now he's kind of twisting their perspective around. Hey, even if you were that one of those few that thought, hey, yeah, yeah, I'm wise by human standards. Then this next sentence, you know, made you think about it. Well, wait a minute. God didn't choose you for your wisdom. He chose the foolish things <laughs> to shame those who think that are wise. He chooses the weak things, the lowly things of this world, the despised thing, the things, the people that the world kind of tossed away, the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And these are the qualities of the upside down kingdom. I've used that phrase before throughout this year of look at the book. Who considers himself wise, even among us? Do any of us think that we are wise? And, and by whose standards do you consider yourself wise? Because you scored high on the SAT? Is the SAT, is the college board now the one who sets the standards? Or maybe you took an IQ test? You know, which university has cornered the market on knowledge or wisdom? Which certificate is best? Which degree is best? And, and who considers himself influential among us? And, and by what standards do we consider ourselves influential? Is it the, the one who has the most friends on Facebook? The one who gets the most likes on TikTok or Instagram? You know, or the one who considers themselves the influencers and 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 what are you influencing people to do really you know what is the lasting significance of what you influence and thirdly who considers himself noble is there somebody here that can say that they have blue blood running through their veins you know who who recognizes your nobility and and how does it help you or more important yet how does it help others see the point here is that none of these things that are really human standards are going to help us do the work God wants us to do, which is to disseminate 
the gospel. Most people use these things, the human wisdom and their influence, for very selfish purposes. But God turns this around. He says, no, 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 no. We're now going to use this collectively to praise the name of Christ, to lift up the name of Christ, because that is what's going to help people become saved. What the world considers strong, in God's eyes, it's weak. And what the world considers high and mighty, God considers very weak. And God even considers that despised. That's because God always roots for the underdog. And who are the underdog? We are. I'm proudly called an underdog. I'll, I'll proudly be identified as a disenfranchised, uh, bullied, overlooked, humbled, downtrodden sheep. <laughs> because these are the ones that have God's attention. So let's be glad that we can be fools for Christ, as Paul says. Let's glad, let's rejoice that we can be weak in the world, but considered to be strong in Christ. That we can be lowly and even despised, but treasured in the eyes of God. Why? As Paul says here at the end, so that no one may boast before him, so that our boast can actually be in Christ and who he has made us to be. Maybe we wanted something else for us, but God has made us something in Christ. And that's what we need to boast in. Like he says here, it is because of him, because of Christ, that you are in Christ Jesus, because of God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom from God. So this is the wisdom that we get, not running after the wisdom of the world, but running after the wisdom that we can have now in Christ Jesus, the wisdom from God. And he mentions these three things that are the wisdom of God. That is our righteousness, a righteousness that, that we have, knowing now what is the right thing to do. Because when you were in the world, despite many counselors and despite much information, you didn't really know what was the right thing to do, because that may even vary from one source to another. But now we know what the right thing to do. He is our righteousness. And, and not only that, he has made us right, because that's what righteousness means. We couldn't make ourselves right. We may know what the right thing to do is, but he made us right before God. He is our holiness. He has made us, he has cleansed us, made us different from the world. He died so that we could live. So now we know how to die to self and live for Christ. That's what holiness is about, distinguishing ourselves from the world. And not only that, he is our redemption. He has made us new because we can't even do that. We can we, we may know what the right thing to do is. We may know we shouldn't be like the world. But that process of redemption is something that happens by the Holy Spirit. He has given us, giving us a new attitude of mind. And so the wisdom of the world can't really help us in any of these areas because the world, first of all, doesn't even know what the right thing to do is. That varies from source to source. They, of course, don't know how to be different because they're the world. They're like the world. <laughs> they don't know how to be holy. There is no holiness in the world. And of course, there is no redemption. There's no newness. The world is, 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 is dwindling down. The world is, 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 is ceasing to function. It's falling apart. And so that's why Paul concludes in this little section here as he starts the next uh, section uh, is, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. Whatever we may know of God, whatever wisdom we have does not come from us but from God. Therefore, we ought to boast in him. It is not to our credit that we even sought God out, you know, for we were always up to no good until God, by his power, 
turn our heart to him, helped us get to him by his love. And so if you boast in, in your activity and what you do, then it might not be in his power. You may not be relying on his power, but still using your own. And, and that gets dwindled down, you know. Uh, it will quickly fade. It will sap your strength, leave you burnt out. But when we rely on the Lord, we won't get burnt out. Nowadays, people boast in many, many, many things that 50 years from now are going to be completely meaningless. And even now as we speak, they're meaningless. We, we could boast in our heritage we could boast in, in our political affiliations. We could boast about knowing something that nobody else knows, you know, about uh, cornering some kind of market of knowledge or property. Uh, we could boast about being vaccinated. You know, we could boast about not surrendering to government tyranny. Uh, we could boast about being a vegan. We could boast about I follow Paul or I follow Apollos, right, which was the issue that Paul was addressing them, you know, oh, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, and Paul's like, who are these? These are people. We need to follow Christ. Our boasting in the Lord is what gives our life meaning, especially in times when everyone's allegiances are all over the place. And in the case of the Corinthians, smack dab in the middle of a very powerful and cosmopolitan Greek city, their allegiances were all over the place too. They were to wisdom mostly because they were Greeks, the wisdom that came in many different flavors, but it was all really just one flavor, the wisdom of man. So all these things Paul writes to them in this first letter and also in the second letter, all the things that he addresses really hang on this foundation that he's trying to establish about what is it that persuades you? What is it that moves you? What is it that compels you? And you need to examine that. All that matters, he's trying to say here, is Christ and him crucified because Jesus is the one who made the difference. He's the one who opened the door. And we started a new life when we were baptized, a new life to pursue the wisdom that comes from God and to leave the knowledge of good and evil behind because that knowledge has already corrupted us. What we want to follow is Jesus and him crucified as Paul starts here in the second chapter of 1 Corinthians. He, he starts out by saying, so he said, so it was with me, brothers and sisters. He says, I was not exempt of any of these things. He said, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. So Paul starts out by saying, look, I, I didn't come to you when I first preached the gospel to you. I didn't come with lofty speech with eloquence, you know, with high talk or, 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 or religious jargon, <laughs> or religious talk, you know. Uh, he says, I'm a, I'm a preacher of the gospel. You know, I came to you with the testimony of God. I didn't try to convince you with a fine sounding argument here with, with a wisdom that depends on the senses or, or human experience. You know, I didn't have to show you my degree, so to speak, uh, so that you could say, oh, yeah, this guy's talking from God. No, he didn't do that. Paul wanted the words to fall on ears of his listeners. He wanted God's words to fall on their ears exactly as God intended, without Paul's charisma or eloquence or human arguments getting in the way 
of the gospel of God. Some people are very charismatic. There are some preachers out there, you know, they're very, very charismatic. Maybe, maybe like Apollos, you know, that's why some people say, hey, I follow Apollos because Apollos, when you read about him in Acts, he sounded pretty charismatic. So some people, you know, they can get away with their charisma. Uh, some of us, like me, you know, we have zero charisma. So we have to really lean on the Lord. <laughs> uh, and so human wisdom may cause someone to follow something due to persuasion. Maybe somebody is able to persuade me. You know, there are people that can sell refrigerators to Eskimos. And some people, you know, they get hooked because they're just plainly ignorant. And Paul was familiar with these dangers. And so he wanted to make sure that he wasn't affecting the message of the gospel, which is why he says in the next verse, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus and him crucified. You see, for Paul, the gospel message was the only relevant one for this life and the next. And, and these are important words, messages. These are important instructions for us to know and to be aware of, you know, things that can make your life easier, uh, things that can make, that can help you be prepared for contingencies. You know, the, it's good to know those things, right? It's good to know what to do if there's a hurricane coming, what to do if somebody's choking. You know, there is some information that is relevant, that is important, that we, we ought to know. But there's really only one message that is completely useful for the entirety of this life and the next one, which no other human message can provide. And Paul says, this is what I resolved to know while I was with you, this gospel message. If there was a message other than the gospel, Think about this. If there was a message other than the gospel that could give people real hope, you know, a hope that will just burst right through any kind of depression or issue that you may be having, then psychologists, psychiatrists, certain drug makers, certain counselors, they would be out of business. <laughs> you know, hope is a commodity in this world that people rarely speak of. Everybody wants hope, but nobody really speaks about it. And hope is ingrained in the promise of the gospel. True hope, that is true hope that goes beyond the grave, as Kevin was uh, speaking to us with the Lord's Supper lesson. And faith, the only currency that can buy that hope is faith. Faith is the only thing that will get you to uh, own a part of this hope franchise called the gospel. You know, see, the world compared to that, now when you take a look at the world and with that perspective, then you can see that the world lives in spiritual squalor. They, they lack that currency. They can't buy this hope. But you believe, if you believe the words of Christ, you are rich. You have hope coming out of your ears. And so that's why it is our task to share this hopeful message with the paupers of this world who are nothing. And that's the gospel message. Tell them, you know, tell them that God visited us in the form of his son, showed us the ultimate evidence of his undying love. How? By giving himself up, by volunteering a death, the one who could not be killed, he allowed, he humbly allowed uh, men to kill him, to put him to death, so that we could have salvation, because he who was all-powerful let us kill him, made himself vulnerable to show us that he really cares and he, and he loves us, ultimately you know, because death is weak and, and has no power over him, he burst forth from the grave, providing 
the life after death that and and he holds the keys to death that's what he's showing us by being raised from the dead and that brothers and sisters friends and visitors that is a hope that this world cannot give you life beyond this life and so by Jesus opening that way with this message of hope in the gospel the message that goes beyond death now he has opened us a way for us to make a choice. And this is where we step in as well, telling them about the gospel message, as Paul told the Corinthians, and now encouraging them to make a choice that they don't have to accept the rhetoric of the world. They don't have to live by the world's wisdom. There is a wisdom that is from God that is more lofty than human wisdom, a transcendent wisdom that doesn't depend on technology, doesn't depend on culture, doesn't depend on human logic. And when they've realized that there is that third choice, they can choose to die to the principles of the world and be born again now as God's child, as someone who's decided now to live a life that is holy, that is set apart from the world, a life that is now going to partake in an eternal trouble-free future, beginning the moment that they are raised up from their baptism in water. This is not a fantasy. This is not a wish. This is not, oh, yeah, you know, we'll have a better life when Jesus comes back. No, we're talking about right now. This is the truth of God, and it can be embraced right now. We accept God's word by being baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. As he died for us, we symbolically lay down our lives in the watery grave of baptism in order to raise it up again in the power now that Christ has as he was raised from the dead by the power of the Spirit. And so we come to understand, as, as Paul continues telling them here, he says, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message, my preaching, they were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So, and, you know, Paul, I think, was a pretty uh, powerful speaker, although some had written to him that in person he seemed contemptible. That means he didn't make much of an impression in person. He spoke really nice words on a letter, but when some people met him in person, they were like, this is Paul. <laughs> so he, he does mention that. Uh, so Paul was aware that, you know, you know, he could have influence, you know, he could be persuasive in the wrong way, but he kept himself under control. He says, look, I didn't depend on wise words. I didn't try to make the gospel. What does that mean? I didn't try to make the gospel seem something it's not, or I didn't try to appease to people's insecurities or fears. I didn't try to, I didn't try to cut corners for you spiritual, spiritually speaking, you know, and he didn't use persuasive words. What does that mean? Well, he didn't try to convince them without counting the cost. He didn't try to say, oh yeah, become a Christian and your life is going to be great. As some people might say, right? He didn't make any promises that the gospel don't, doesn't promise. So he stuck to the words of the gospel because he wanted their faith to rest on God's power. And so the message of the gospel, we have to realize, can stand on its own. We don't need to defend the gospel as if, oh, the gospel, you know, we need to sugarcoat it somehow. No, 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 we don't need to sugarcoat the gospel. We just need to present it. We could uh, can try to convince people about it, about how to follow it, maybe with our lives or with example. There is some persuasion that we can do, but not a type of persuasion that 
uh, sugarcoats the gospel, that tries to make it seem something that is not, that is very dangerous. We don't want to do that because then it would be like taking some uh, uh, seeds, some corn seeds, and saying, well, these corn seeds are, are not enough. Uh, let's try to change them around uh, and adapt them. And of course, you know, people don't really understand how, how biology works completely. So they tamper with these things and they tend to produce something completely unintended. It's because human beings simply don't have the wisdom and they lack the forecasting to know the disastrous results and repercussions that tampering with the things that God made may have. And so if we tamper with the spiritual seed, what happens? Well, you end up with GMO religion, <laughs> denominations, right, which is the ministry of Satan. And Satan knows this. So we have to be very careful like Paul and make sure that we're preaching the unadulterated gospel, that we don't change the message of the gospel, that we make sure we include the message of Jesus the judgment that is to come and the condemnation, those are three aspects that Paul always included in his message, because we need to let people know that this is real. If people want to listen to someone because of their charisma or their personality, then they're not really focusing on the gospel. It reminds me of this person that used to always boast about a particular radio show that they heard from this particular preacher. Oh, this preacher, he sounds so great. You got to listen to his show. He is so moving. He is so good. And, and I would ask the person, okay, well, well, what did they say? Well, I don't know what they say, but they just sounded so good. And so there you have it. You know, people are focused more on the charisma of the person as opposed to the message, which is why Paul starts this letter with the danger of people following people as opposed to people following Christ. Now, Paul talks about here that he came to them with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And so what is that about? So the power that was demonstrated in Paul's case, and in all of the apostles' case, was something that did not depend on the apostle themselves, because it wasn't a power that they could, you know, that was coming from them, but it was God's power. As Paul says here, it's the Spirit's power that could be the show of the miraculous signs, the wonders that the apostle would do to show that he had authority from God, kind of like how Jesus did it. The miracles and the things that Jesus did showed and proved to the world, to a doubting world, that Jesus was no ordinary person, that he was, you know, signed off by God, which is what Messiah means. This is, this is the chosen one of God. And so the apostles also had that authority. And so this would have been a very powerful evidence of the authority of the message that the Apostle Paul spoke, which is why many believe in their day. However, I will say this, this does not substitute faith, which is why it was only given to the early church as a jumpstart for the church. Think about it. Despite the many powerful evidences that the Israelites witnessed throughout their dealings with God in the Old Testament, Many still perish for lack of faith. And that's because signs do not promote faith. Miraculous signs don't cause you to grow in faith. The word of God is what causes you to have faith, as Romans 10, 17 says, which is why Jesus says, blessed are those who believe without seeing. So in our day, the demonstration of the Spirit's power is in our transformed way of living. 
and of thinking. We show the power of the Spirit by our unity, because the world doesn't have unity. Think about it. The world is very polarized in all things. But when people see a church and they see the unity and the love, two powerful signs, right, that Jesus spoke of, by your unity and by how you love each other, people will know you come from me. Those are two things that we've cornered the market on as a church. Those are great commodities that by the Spirit's power, not by our own, we can display and show and, and let people know, hey, this is from Christ. And so that's very powerful. And our motivation for such a transformation by faith will be skewed and immature if it were to be based on man-made ideals and wisdom. In fact, it wouldn't last that long. <laughs> but when our faith rests in the power of God, the Spirit in you, then our transformation is permanent and is complete. It is mature. The faith or belief that people will have doesn't depend on our presentation of the gospel, as long as you present it as is from the word of God. It does not depend, their faith should depend on your eloquence, but it rests on the facts that were described 2,000 years ago by the gospel writers. Follow this religious authority. Let them know this is how it is. We're giving you a message that was transmitted by Jesus, that was spoken by Jesus, because as the Hebrew author says, God decided to speak to us through his son in this present age. And Jesus gave the apostles the Holy Spirit to continue the revelation of the message, the rest of the things that he didn't have time to disseminate to them. And these are all now written in the word of God. This is the chain of authority, which is why Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard by the word of God and faith that is based on this wisdom of God and not on men. That is the power. If my faith rests on how well a preacher can convince me or convict me, as opposed to an understanding I derive from the word of God, then think about this. Is that a faith that saves? Is that a faith that will allow me to transform? Think about it yourself. Some of you may be struggling with your faith. Why? Because you're still following your heart, because you're still waiting for some kind of charismatic message, for some kind of uh, the latest thing to come into your life. And you haven't really paid attention to the words of God, or worse yet, you haven't really believed that the words of God are the words of his son, that are the words meant to give us life. And you're still kind of waiting. I don't know what you're waiting for. You're waiting for some kind of feeling, you know, you're, you're waiting maybe for some heartburn to happen or, or something else. I don't know what you're waiting for, but it is on the message. You have to focus on the message. That's the message that will cause you transformation transformation if you if you've been a christian for years and you're still struggling with worldliness cursing bad habits still struggling with porn immorality still struggling to be generous still struggling with being humble or lying then you have to take a look at your faith what is your faith resting on this is the foundation that the apostle paul laid before the corinthians to later address all the different problems that they were having because if your faith is not resting on the pragmatic understanding of Scripture, then it's not resting on God's power. And you got to let God's word destroy those barriers and let your faith rest on the evidenced love of Jesus Christ as demonstrated 
by his awesome gospel. I pray that this word has impacted you today. Thank you for listening and have a great afternoon. Thank you very much for listening. I hope the Lord gave you insight into conforming to Jesus with today's message. I always appreciate feedback. You can send me your thoughts, musings, and comments directly through the Anchor app. You can also contact me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing.